welcome to the U-Press Play News Podcast, Episode 8. My name's Natalia. I'm the news editor. I'm Jillian. I'm the copy desk chief. Uh, my name's Michael. I'm a contributing writer. And on today's topic, we have Davy Campus Vaccine, the Capitol, Chauvin's trial, the Suez Canal, and Matt Gates. So this week, FAU announced that the Johnson & Johnson COVID vaccine will be available to students and faculty at the Davy campus. They stated that the supplies are limited, though, and that they plan on administering the doses up until April 8th. Those seeking the vaccine must follow the state's current guidelines, meaning that only those who are over the age of 40 or have a doctor's note stating that they are extremely vulnerable to the disease can get the vaccine at the on-campus site. Well, this is uh, obviously good news. I think um, we're we're all going to be able to get it coming up this week uh, eventually. I don't know if they'll if they'll expand it to campuses, FAU campuses. I hope they do. Uh, my, my mom can actually vaccinate me because she's a nurse, so that's a pretty cool detail. But I'm happy that even younger people are able to get it. Forty is pretty young, you know, as we know. So, um, and even if you're um, not forty, I would I would recommend checking into those uh, anyone that's listening to check into anything that makes you vulnerable to the disease, because I, I saw like Broward Health was literally giving the shot a couple of weeks ago to people that just were a tiny bit overweight. Um, if you're diabetic, if you have anything like that, you could probably qualify for this vaccine sooner the better. And you, this, you said this was the Johnson one, right? Yeah, the Is Johnson that the one Johnson. Shot? Is that the one shot vaccine? Yes. Yes, okay. Uh, yeah, that's actually kind of the one I want to get um, just to avoid having to go back three weeks later, but definitely good news for sure. Yeah, it's definitely good news. I think it's also, I also find it really good that FAU is handling these vaccines out because of course there are certain people that can't always, you know, work a lot. They can't always go out and try to find the appointment. So I feel like this also kind of helps people out be like, hey, you know, I I go to SAU or I work at SAU and they're giving me the vaccine so you know I can just sign up and get it. I think that's something really good that SAU is right and I feel like if they could expand it to all the other campuses because right now it's only in Davie, if they could expand it to all to the Jupiter campus, the Boca campus, I feel like that would also be something very good that SAU does if they decide to do it. Yeah, I think it's really great that they're making this available on campus. I'm nervous for when the uh, restrictions come down because I've tried to look into see like appointments and seeing if I could pre-register somewhere. Oh, everything's booked. Everything. Yeah, I heard it's been uh, kind of um, a crapshoot to to say the least. Um, uh, it, some some place you can get it public. You know, Broward Health's doing them, but I heard the lines are long sometimes. So, and we're all students. We're busy. Some of us work. So, you got to be you know, on your toes. So um, even though we can get vaccinated next week, you know, our age group, uh, it's going to be probably still quite a process, maybe annoying to get in there, you know, but hopefully, I, I hope they expand it to other campuses and stuff too, because if you have it just at Davie, it's going to lead to more people or more lines. They're going to run out quicker, you know, Boca is the most populous campus. Let's get some on Boca. Let's get some at Jupiter. I've seen uh, Broward College is doing some decent stuff too. I don't know. I think they're just doing it at North right now in Coconut Creek. But I think all the universities down here should try and, and be vaccination centers, libraries, and stuff like that. Um, we'll see what happens here in the next couple of weeks. So, okay. So our next topic is about what happened at the Capitol yesterday. Uh, we're recording this on a Saturday, so this would have happened on the 2nd, April 2nd. So 
Yesterday, April 2nd, a car rammed into a barricade outside of the US Capitol uh, and an officer was injured and another officer was killed. Uh, the driver of the car, they identified him as Noah Green. He apparently pulled out a knife and he was shot and killed by police on the scene. Um, there's not many details about this right now, but according to Green's brother, Brendan, his brother Noah was troubled and had suffered from, suffered from mental illness and drug abuse in recent years and had suicidal thoughts. Brendan also said his brother became deeply religious and very paranoid recently. Uh, the officer killed in this incident was uh, William Billy Evans, who was an 18-year veteran and a father of two. Um, so according to the Washington Post, I did some reading about this this morning, it's not yet clear how the officer was killed. Capitol went into lockdown after this attack. And when I first saw this pop across my screen yesterday, I thought this was going to be similar to the riots on January 6th. I thought maybe it would have been, you know, far-right extremists, maybe QAnon or whatever. But with the details I have so far, it, it doesn't appear that this attack was politically motivated at all so far. Uh, Noah Green, the person who drove the car into the barricade, called himself a follower of Louis Farrakhan, who is the leader of the Nation of Islam. They are a black nationalist group. Um, but there's no details suggesting that the attack was politically motivated so far. Not saying it isn't, it, it may be, but that's not a group that usually carries out political attacks. Um, so I'm curious about how you guys feel about this. Do you guys think that this was a troubled guy, um, you know, committing suicide possibly? Uh, the, you know, there's something known as suicide by cop where you coax the police into using lethal force on you. Uh, or do you think maybe we'll find out in the weeks to come, days to come maybe, did he do this for a political or religious reason maybe? Maybe we just have to wait for more details. But I'm curious what you guys think. I think I remember I was at McDonald's when this was happening and I got the notification that the Capitol was on lockdown but at the time there wasn't any information as to what had happened what was happening but now that I know from the information that Michael you gave me um, and the information that I got off of other news sources it does not look like it was politically motivated so I don't see how it could be politically motivated at this point I think, you know, once they do more investigating into it, we could find out more about it. I, I don't know, it's, it's kind of even hard to create like a very specific type of point of view over this because we don't really know what was behind this besides the fact that, you know, his brother did say that he was kind of mentally unstable, he did have drug abuses. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what comes out because, like you said, the reason is kind of unclear and I don't want to make any assumptions as to why, especially because I don't personally fully understand like what was accomplished by this, um, you know, and what the goal or purpose of it was to begin with. So it's, it's also extremely disheartening to see something happen at our capital that pushes it into lockdown so closely within each other. I mean... I don't know how many people can say like up until 2021 that this is something that's happened so frequently ever in their lives. Well, I was gonna say too, outside of a political motive, I'm curious to see if he, if this person did have a political motive or if, um, I mean, he picked this target for a reason, obviously, whether it was to intentionally 
you know, commit suicide by cop or whatever. But I, I, this is this is just terrible to me. The Capitol gets locked down, but it's terrible to me because of the police officer that died. Obviously, I mean, and and the other one I think is still in in critical condition. Last time I checked, so I mean, this is what the third or fourth uh, DC area police officer that's died in the last couple months. That's just terrible. I mean, you don't go to work and expect to not come home. You know what I mean? 18 year veteran, especially when, you know, you're just watching a barricade and some guy speeds his car through it. So that's really disheartening to me, um, regardless of the motives of, of the, of why this person did this, that, that it, 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 it then harms, you know, these two, two families, the families of the person that did this is probably heartbroken. And then the family of the, of the cop who gets caught up into it is, now changed forever as well. It's just very disheartening in my opinion. Yeah, I think also there's, I can't imagine being somebody working at the Capitol right now when they went through the January 6th Capitol incident. Like I can't imagine like seeing that happen now and just automatically going into that state of mind of like, oh my goodness, I have to go into hiding. I don't know what's happening. Like, because the Capitol, incident that happened, you know, um, that, number one, that was, I think that was heartbreaking. I think to be somebody working at the Capitol right now who went through January, what happened on January 6th, I think that is incredibly traumatic. And to see this happening again or as close, I can't imagine. I can't imagine it. Yeah, I wanted to say um, the, the a lot of the officers that were there on January 6th, they've talked about having PTSD and stuff from the day. And another thing that concerns me about this is that whether or not this was politically motivated, does this embolden people to do more things like this, to ram cars into barricades, to, you know, try and harm police officers or, or something like that? I, I mean, that's just, I've heard that, that DC, I, I've been to DC, it's an awesome place, uh, but I've heard that lately it's, it resembles more of like a locked down place. There's barbed wire, there's fences everywhere. And uh, it's just a shame that, that, you know, that people can't feel secure and stuff, the officers, the citizens. And I, I, I'm curious and I'm scared that this is going to embolden someone to try something else, maybe something even worse, potentially. Um, you know, January 6th opened a whole can of worms. And, um, you know, even if this wasn't politically motivated, someone may see this and think that, you know, there's weak links that they could hit or, you know, they can get their name in the news by doing something crazy. I, I just think the whole thing is is very, very disheartening. And and we, we didn't hear any of this stuff, uh, you know what I mean? The tax on the Capitol, ramming cars into the Capitol. That is something that, that has been unheard of in my lifetime, and I think in, in really our, even our parents' lifetime. So um, um, what do you got to say, Natalia? Yeah, so like the thing where you said about, uh, you know, we haven't really seen like a, somebody like Grandma Carr into the Capitol, that, you know, like we've seen like cars being rammed into like in other parts of around the world, mostly like Europe, Middle East, like we've seen all of that happening, but we've never seen it here in the United States in D.C., and especially as someone like I've been to DC before. I I love DC. I love the atmosphere around there. I love how it's very educational. I love going to museums. But as someone who does want to work in like a big media organization and wants to work in like a big city, it kind of also just puts into the thought of like, wow, like I 
want to work in this city but at the same time it's kind of like what's gonna happen i don't know what's gonna happen yeah and and i think these attacks january 6th and both this one it, it really uh it really I feel for the people of DC because one of the things that's special, you've been there, so you know that when you get off a train or you get off a plane there, you can see uh, Pennsylvania Avenue, you can see the White House, you can see it, everything is just in reach, you know what I mean? Like, it, and it's so cool to walk by all these historic places, the National Mall, the Lincoln Memorial, the Washington Monument. Um, and, and, and because of these attacks, that's really been shut off and it's kind of like, a surveillance place now where it's like everyone's worried about who what someone is up to or something i just think it's terrible that that it has it has come to this um and i i wouldn't be surprised if this was like if there was more of this to come in the coming years and stuff Un um, unfortunately um i i just think that it would be naive to think that someone else isn't going to try something crazy but I hope they get stopped before they succeed. I hope, you know, they get busted. I know the FBI is monitoring people and stuff, but, you know, this guy got through and all it takes is one guy to get through for something calamitous to happen. So, but I, I wanted to say rest in peace to the officer and, and condolences to his family. I thought that was just absolutely terrible. So. This week, Darren Chauvin's trial for the death of George Floyd began. According to CBS, here's what's worth noting from that so far. During the opening statements, prosecutors began with the 9 minute and 29 second clip of the former officer pressing his knee against Floyd's neck. Uh, while prosecutors ar argued that he died of oxygen deprivation, Chauvin's defense team argued that uh, Floyd's death uh, was actually the result of prior drug use. Uh, the defense also presented a number of witnesses. There were multiple witnesses who were there at the time of Floyd's death who noted he was in visible distress and was begging for his life. His former police supervisor testified that Chauvin should have ceased his restraint of Floyd as soon as he said, and I quote, uh, was no longer offering up any resistance. Uh, he also explained that officers are trained to cease this type of restraint as soon as possible in order to not restrict breathing, uh, which obviously did not happen in this case. Um, Lieutenant Richard Zimmerman, who is the highest ranking official in the Minneapolis Police Department, testified that the officers had no reason to believe that Floyd presented any danger and that, I'm quoting again, pulling him down to the ground, face down, and putting a knee on his neck for that amount of time, it's just uncalled for. He also said that putting a knee on someone's neck should, quoting again, absolutely be considered deadly force because it can kill them. According to HuffPost, one of the witnesses at the scene, Genevieve Hansen, was an off-duty firefighter and identified herself as such and offered to help by giving Floyd medical care and chest compressions, but the officers would not allow her to do so. She said at the stand that, I literally watched police officers not take a pulse and not do anything to save a man. The recordings of the trial and testimonies are also available online if anyone wanted to watch them um, for themselves. Obviously, there's a lot going on in here, but... Um, those are some of the things to start looking at right now. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was able, lucky enough to catch a decent amount of this trial and the stuff that I did catch was pretty gripping, uh, pretty crazy stuff, pretty sad, honestly. Um, what you said about the, the police sergeant and uh, Lieutenant Zimmerman, those ones I think are especially damning towards uh, Chauvin and um, 
and the witnesses especially they, they kept saying the same thing it what I, I knew what i was seeing was wrong it was wrong what i watched and um and just how traumatizing it was for them to witness this uh you know uh, the yesterday zimmerman was on the trial again and he said that um he said that never in his 35 years 35 plus years i believe he said as an officer has he ever been told to put his knee on someone's neck especially in the prone position and that he is taught all the time to lift someone up and they have to do cpr training every two years and that it's against you know that when you have someone prone and they're restrained to put them up so that they can breathe um and and i and i really found the defenses uh i understand that that this is what defense attorneys do but i really found their defense to be kind of tasteless and lacking logic they're saying that because there was a crowd and that the crowd called Derek chauvin names that chauvin then has the right to kill george floyd which just doesn't make sense to me um and, and it's just i think it really shows that you can't defend this at all how do you defend the indefensible that's why i would be very surprised if chauvin ever took the stand in the future for this because how can you defend that conduct and the the last thing i wanted to say was that in chauvin's body cam after they load loaded george floyd onto the ambulance he gets in his squad car in the passenger seat and it, it seems like he's cool calm and collected and i could not imagine uh taking the life of a human being and and thinking like that i i think they that he treated him and his the three other officers on the scene they, they treated him like he was an animal and like he was not a human and that's just terrible i mean it, it it's unbelievable i um genevieve hansen um the defense attorney said would you say that you guys were uh angry at what you were seeing and and her answer was have you ever seen someone get killed in front of you it's like you know i mean i don't understand what what the defense's logic is in this how you can even defend this type of force you know he then the paramedic said you know he was probably dead at five minutes and and chauvin stayed on him for another four four minutes or so and at no point the paramedic said he had to motion him off of him say get up so that we can start treatment on this guy so i just think that this with the new body cam footage and stuff this has been even more damning toward uh, Chauvin, he he seemed so cold during this entire procedure. I I I just don't. It was terrible. Yeah. So you also brought up something that kind of took my mind of what I was watching this past week um, about the people who the witnesses. There was a witness. He was the cash. He was at. He was the cashier at the supermarket, and he even said on the stand that he wished he had never like he he wished he would have just taken the bill and just not said anything and just taken fault for it because by what he said you know he had you know anyone that gave kind of like a fake dollar he had to you know he had to give it to the manager because or else it gets taken out of their paycheck so he got it and then he went to he went i think after george floyd he wasn't able to get george floyd then went to the manager the manager said, hey, try again, go out, whatever. He went back, he wasn't able to. And then when he came back, the manager of the supermarket called the police. And I, I can't imagine being the person right now who is working at a supermarket, sees this happening, 
does the right thing and gets somebody, you know, in the end, you know, somebody killed. Yeah, that that's interesting that you brought that up as well. It, it, it's that, um, you know, they, they tried, um, I, I didn't see at any point the reason for this type of police response. If you watch earlier, Officer Lane, who who is not on trial right now, he will be on trial with the two other officers in August. As soon as they walk up to George Floyd's Benz, he pulls out a gun immediately for someone that passed a fake 20. And to me, that is, that's already an abusive force right there. And that leads to this tense situation. And then Chauvin shows up and makes it a hundred times worse by putting his knee on his neck. And, and one thing I noticed is, is that they had George Floyd in the car at one point. Why did they pull him out and then, and then put their knee and then Chauvin put his knee on his neck while Lane and officer King stand on his back as well. I mean, their, their, their rationale for use of force is just insane to me. They, they, you know, they, there's an expert on CNN, uh, Charles Ramsey, the police expert, who always keeps saying, like, they may have been justified to use force at first to put him in the car, but once he's, he's handcuffed and not resisting, the use of force should cease, and, and it's over. You know what I mean? You, you handcuff him, you, stand, you sit him up, you let him breathe, and then it's over. I just don't understand why they pulled him out of the car and then put, you know, <laughs> that Chauvin put his knee on his neck other than willful disregard of life. And he did this in front of people with a, a smirk on his face, basically. And I don't know, man. And, and, and the, the, the defense attorney trying to paint this as a drug use thing is insane to me because they're essentially arguing that if if George Floyd would have never met Derek Chauvin that day, that George Floyd would have just collapsed and died anyway. You know what I mean? Like that's so such a dumb thing for them to, that's essentially what I feel like they're arguing when they say he died because of drug use. Okay, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. If you have someone who puts their knee on your neck for nine minutes, you're going to stop breathing. You know what I mean? Um, it, it's, it's just, a, a, they're trying to, I think, smear his character. You know what I mean? Which is, we see this a lot when there is a, um, a black man who's already dead, who can't defend himself. You see defense attorneys or sometimes the media try to smear that man's name. And uh, it, it, I just felt like the defense was so scummy with some of this stuff that they were bringing up. Yeah, you also brought up the point about um, like the thing, like we also talked about last week about like, if you know if it's a white man they get away with everything but if it's like somebody black or somebody different they don't get away with anything and they wind up getting killed i don't see i find that excuse so mind-boggling because like how do you tell how do you how do you even like how do you even back somebody up like that over like, oh yeah, he would have died anyway over drug abuse. How can you say that to somebody? On trial even. Well, what's, what's like I said, what's damning is, is that the none of the police are, are, that have been called so far have defended Chauvin's actions so far. Not a single one that I have seen has defended 
his use of force or anything like that. They all saw it to me as from what I saw from the trial and what I read that that it was excessive force, you know? And it seemed like the only ones that didn't realize it was excessive force were Chauvin and the three guys on the scene who didn't give aid, who didn't bring him up. I mean, you look at the transcript of, of Floyd's last words, he's saying he can't breathe, you know, a minute in. And, and, and to just hear him say that he can't breathe and hear him cry and things like that, how do you not let that man up to breathe? I, this is so uncalled for that he died during this encounter over a fake $20 bill. That, that is the dumbest thing ever. I mean, the, 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 the use of force for that is insane. Yeah, and you bring up an interesting point, and this is just my opinion, and this is me being cynical, <laughs> um, but I almost feel like perhaps he has so many members of the police department criticizing them because it would take off a lot of media attention if they could say, well, we got this guy, um, and that would be a way for them to not like kind of like redeem themselves in the eye of the media so to speak um and i'm not saying that that is the case but i'm just i'm you know i'm glad that they aren't defending him but i'm i'm cynical about the motives yeah uh well we'll have to see what happens coming up i mean i i think that this has been pretty pretty must see tv at, at points it's been it's been hard to watch at times. It's been hard to, but it's also been hard to look away because we're seeing things that we've never seen before about this. And um, this can go for another three weeks or so potentially before we get a verdict, you know? And, but I, I thought especially the last two days where, where the lieutenants in the department came and, and a 911 responder said that she raised concerns because they have TV screens. And she said that she saw the scene and she thought her computer had frozen because he has was on his neck for so long. And she raised a concern with, um, I believe, a lieutenant. Um, maybe I, I might be wrong, uh, but she and they and then they went to the scene as well uh, because she found it so abnormal that the use of force persisted for that long. And, you know, they, the, the, the defense tries to bring up George Floyd's past to smear a dead man's name. But I haven't heard a single mention about Derek Chauvin's 26 allegations of misconduct as a police officer. And I imagine that the prosecution will uh, zoom in on that in the future. Uh, so I, I, I'm cynical like Jillian. I've seen police get off from stuff like this so many times. But I really think that this is indefensible. And I don't know how anyone in good conscience as a juror could look at this. I mean, I know we have more evidence to see and stuff, but I don't, I don't see anything that could, I mean, wrong is wrong. Like the witnesses said, I, what I saw was wrong, basically. So. Yeah, it's really heartbreaking to listen to a lot of the testimonies. Um, the witnesses, oh my goodness, you can tell these people, they harbor a lot of guilt for what happened and uh, wish that they had done something different. But what do you what do you do when there's a cop, multiple cops with guns? You know, it's such a terrifying situation to be in all around. 
Yeah, and the and the people that called the police, they the, you see their regret that they even got the police involved. You, you know what I mean? Uh, you, you, they, they didn't. To me, they didn't perceive him as a threat after he passed a twenty dollar bill. The cashier, you look at the the footage of inside the supermarket. He's just walking around. You know what I mean? No one seems to be afraid of this man. That 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 it warrants that when the police called for them to immediately pull their guns on him. You know what I mean? Like I said, that that's an escalation of force right there. And that's that's Lane, that wasn't Chauvin. I'm sure that'll be brought up in the trial in August, but it, it seemed like force was escalated immediately as soon as they encountered this man. And, and like I said, I, I don't want to live where a police department pulls a gun on a man for passing a fake 20. Because you can do that unwillingly. That doesn't mean you did anything wrong. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I don't know. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to live in a place where that's acceptable conduct. Is where someone possibly fat passed a fake twenty, and the the response is to pull a gun on him and then eventually kill him by kneeling on his knee in in front of a crowd of people. You know what I mean? It, it was just. I don't know. Chauvin was very, um, very cold hearted. I think he's looking at a crowd that's watching him do this and he still wouldn't get up. I mean, it, it, it's just insane. Well, I'm sure more and more information will come out, more witnesses probably as the weeks go on. So we'll have to see what happens from here. So last week, one of the world's largest container ships, the Ever Given, became stuck in the waterway of the Suez Canal. The ship was traveling from China to the Netherlands when it turned sideways, essentially blocking the canal. According to CNBC, around 12% of the global trade passes through this canal and is a sea-level waterway that connects the Mediterranean Sea to the Red Sea. Now, this caused a huge panic as ships from all over the world carry fuel and cargo on different ships, and these ships were blocked from entering the canal that raised the alarms on global supply chains, according to CNN. Now, this past week, the Ever Given ship was finally freed, but they're still trying to investigate how, what caused the ship to become stuck, but it's also suggested that strong winds and poor visibility were to blame. Now, I don't even know how to how a ship could get stuck like that. And also, I know this is gonna come out in the next couple of weeks because we don't we don't really know a lot about this yet, but I'm interested to see in how this is going to affect the global supply chain with that one week that the ship was blocked. Because like, yeah, we don't see the effects now, but the effects are gonna come that like later, the effects are gonna come in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, this was uh when I when I saw this, this uh, I sort of thought it was like an onion story because it just seems so weird that there's a ship blocking the entire Suez Canal. And I'm thinking to myself, how the hell is there a ship blocking the entire Suez Canal? But um, for those that don't know, the Suez Canal was built, I think, uh, not that long ago, either within the last century sometime. Someone will have to Wikipedia it. But um, the Suez Canal cuts right through Africa. So if that wasn't there, you have to sail all the way around Africa to get from one side to the Atlantic side. 
So it really cuts um, shipping time in half. It's a huge, it was a huge deal when it was built. You know what I mean? It's like the Panama Canal too, lets you cut right through South America. So, um, or Central America, I think Panama is in Central America, but um, pardon my ignorance on that. But um, yeah, uh, I, I was like, for a while there, I didn't think they were gonna get this ship unstuck because it's, I've seen in the past, like with cruise liners and other like cargo ships, there's some that are like stuck off the coasts of certain countries that are still there that have been there for like 20 years and they just decay in the ocean because it's like, how do you move a ship this large? How do you get it unstuck? You, you can't. So, um, but this was definitely threatening global supply chains from what I read. And even now that it's moved, things are probably backed up. I mean, it, 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 you said it was coming from China to the Netherlands and China exports everything, plastic, you know, any type of goods. They're in everything from like little plastic toys to iPhones. So um, this affects pretty much everybody. So um, I'm curious though to see how this happened. I, I wonder if it was the captain's fault or like you said, maybe visibility, maybe it was beyond their control. You know what I mean? I don't know anything about driving a big ship this big, but uh, just a wild story. There, there, there were a lot of um, funny memes that came out about this too, from Patrick from SpongeBob. Why don't we just push the ship somewhere else? You know, but um, yeah, it, this. When I saw this, I was like, this has to be a joke. But I'm curious what you guys kind of say. So it's actually really funny um, because Business Insider uh, published an article. Um, basically stating that all of the memes floating around that were mocking the situation apparently like influenced the rescue teams to work even harder. Um, so that is, you know, this is a terrible situation, but there's a little bit of comic relief in that. For sure. And I'm, I'm glad no one was hurt and and the internet is undefeated when, you know, when people that are really good at memes come and, and bully someone into moving a cargo ship that's blocking um, international trade. So, but yeah, go ahead, Natalia. Yeah, I think that's actually kind of funny because like, I feel like sometimes with all the horrible stuff that happens around the world, like these memes sometimes would just, it would be that little light, it would be that little motivation for some people to, you know, try to get the situation better. For sure. Our last topic is about uh, Matt Gates. Uh, for those who don't know, Matt Gates, he's a Florida representative. He's a Republican. Uh, he's been in the news in the last week. He's being investigated by the Justice Department over sex trafficking allegations. Gates, uh, he's 38 years old. He's being investigated for having a relationship with a 17-year-old girl and other relationships that federal investigators believe may have broken federal sex trafficking and prostitution laws. Gates has denied the allegations and claims he's being extorted, which the FBI is currently investigating those claims. Uh, House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy said he would remove Gates from the Judiciary Committee if the allegations were true. Uh, something that's interesting about this is that after the allegations broke, Axios, the news uh, outlet, reported that Gates was considering leaving Congress for a job at Newsmax, which is a conservative TV station. But I was reading a little bit about this this morning and uh, CNN published an article that said, and I'm quoting them, Gates gained a reputation in Congress over his relationships with women and bragging about his sexual escapades to his colleagues. 
multiple sources told CNN this. Uh, Gates showed nude photos of women he had slept with to other lawmakers, including on the House floor. Quote, the sources, including two people directly shown the material, said Gates displayed the images of women on his phone and talked about having sex with them. So this is not related to his sex trafficking charges, but it may display a pattern of behavior for Gates. In addition to what CNN had to say, the Washington Post said that Representative Matt Gates repeatedly boasted to people involved in Florida politics about women he met through a county tax collector, Joe Greenberg, who has since been charged by federal authorities with sex, sex trafficking of a minor, according to two people who heard his comments directly. Matt was never shy about talking about his relationship to Joe and the access to women that Joe provided him, said one of these people who they requested to be anonymous. The Washington Post reported. In the video shown, both CNN and the Washington Post reported that the nude women appeared to be adults and Gates has not been charged with the crime to this point as of today. So I was actually saying before we even got on this call here to record, I was actually watching a CNN video of it. Oh my goodness, I don't, I find that disgusting that he had, he had pictures. He, he had this on the floor. How do you, how does a man of this position, of this high status, be in a room full of super important people and have these pictures of women on his phone? And he's showing it to people. And he's showing it to people. Even if the women on his phone were adults, the behavior is completely inappropriate. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, you know, um, Regardless of what happens with this trafficking thing, um, that that stuff was pretty damning to me by itself, even if the, the women were adults, because clearly you don't have consent to show this to people. And also, who does this on the house floor at their place of work? That would be like me going to, you know, my job and showing nude pictures to a coworker. It's completely inappropriate. It's inappropriate for someone working at the lowest levels, you know, making, you know, minimum wage or or anything, and it's really inappropriate for an elected representative or whatever. But um, one thing that's uh, interesting about this is that Gates got caught up in this because they were investigating Joel Greenberg, which is the, the tax collector that Natalia was talking about. And I guess the thing that links them is this 17-year-old girl that they both had a relationship with. And an interesting part that the Washington Post said, which Natalia talked about, was that Matt Gates constantly bragged about the women that Joel Greenberg would get him. So, um, you know, this is a lot to unpack, obviously, and, and he hasn't been charged with a crime yet. Um, we don't know exactly what happened, but um, I, I think we definitely have enough here to say that he acted unprofessionally and is kind of creepy. I mean, I, I, I can't believe that, well, no, I can believe that someone like him would show nude photos to people on the house floor because, you know, people with power that, you know, have never been checked. But, uh, and the Washington Post story and the CNN stories, they both match up uh, the anonymous tipsters that they got. They both mentioned a, the same video. They both mentioned um, a video that Gates showed to colleagues of a naked woman dancing with a hula hoop. I don't know if you guys caught that when you read it, but um, which lends credence to the allegations. I, they're, they're, most likely true if two different you know reporters you get this from two different 
sources uh, who said, yeah, one of the videos I remember there was a girl with a hula hoop. So um, that, that to me is enough for expulsion, honestly. I mean, that's just creepy and weird, but uh, go ahead, Natalia. Yeah, I wanted to bring up this point. Have you guys realized that every single time anything sexual, any type of sexual abuse, any type of allegation comes out, it's always a man, it's always a white man specifically, a white man of power, and it always has to do with at least one person that's a minor. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I've noticed it that specifically, but I, I do notice specifically like like it, it, it is like guys in power. Like we, we've seen with like Cuomo, uh, I think recently with that, it, it, it just, um, I think these guys realize that they can use their power to get access to women and abuse these women. Um, and it's just terrible. Like, he's, like there's, there's no way that Gates had the permission of all these women to even, maybe even to have photos of them. You know what I'm saying? But if, to, if even to have photos to show them to strangers, to show them to a third party, it's just gross, you know, that that alone to me is sexual harassment, sexual abuse. It's very, very creepy. It's, uh, you know, I mean, and 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 I don't know if I, I, from reading this, he's been in the news a bunch of times for doing crazy stuff. He wore a gas mask to the house floor last year during the coronavirus, I guess, to make fun of it. Um, uh, he's, I guess he's Ron DeSantis's buddy as well. I mean, I, I, I it's weird that I really haven't seen anyone condemn this stuff yet too much either. Like it's kind of, uh, and in a way, I, I don't want to say I understand it, but we have the, sh the Chauvin trial going on. Now we have this capital thing. So this has kind of been pushed to the back burner a little bit, but um, I'm curious to see what else happens, but, but him alone showing those videos on the house floor, I think is, is pretty gross regardless of what happens with this sex trafficking charge or the minor charge. Um, but it, it, it wouldn't surprise me to, to um, find out that all of this was true and more. Like, I believe these anonymous tipsters so far because they said they were shown the video directly. I trust CNN. I trust the Washington Post. And like I said, their accounts are different, but they match up. You had uh, people down here in Florida saying that he showed them videos, and then you had people in Washington saying that he was showing videos of women he had been with. But um, I don't know, man. That's that's pretty insecure as a dude if you have to go around and show complete strangers videos of women you've been with, you know, and and, and extremely creepy. And uh, I don't want someone like that representing my state. No, yeah. Hopefully, if any of these allegations are true, there are some consequences for this because I think there's a history of there not being consequences just in the political world. Um, so to see something be done about it would be nice. Because <laughs> yeah, you're totally we'll right. To I, this is not, if this is how he's behaving, this is certainly not what I would want in a representative. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like, um, like you said, the things that, that, that Natalia brought up, it shows a pattern of behavior of like, you know, I'm going to show people pictures of girls I've been with or whatever. And and that alone, like I said, should be enough for me to be to not be a representative. You know what I mean? But it'll probably just say, oh, he was punished or censured, or I don't even know exactly what they can do to someone like that. But 
it, it seems like a lot of times this is ignored and they, they, they chalk it up to uh, boys being boys or something like that. And that's just kind of weird. <laughs> um, that's not normal behavior, I, I, I can tell you. I mean, I'm a guy, I've, I've never had another guy come up to me that was a complete stranger and show me someone naked he had been with. It's just weird and creepy, you know what I mean? So uh, we'll have to see what comes out of this. So I guess we have come to the end of this episode. Before we head off, I just wanna say, I hope everyone had a good Passover and a good Easter, whichever one you celebrate. And we'll see you guys here next time on the Press Play News Podcast. Thank you.